Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. We'll be reading this chapter and speaking about Jesus, Son of God, Savior. Hebrews chapter 2, following your Bibles as I read. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip or drift away from them. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, wherever we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angel, thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we see not yet all things put under him. Now, I believe that he's talking about man there. At the beginning, man was put over as dominion over everything on the earth. Because of sin, though, he lost a lot of that dominion. But now he says, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. So he was made a little lower than the angels, likened to man. In that sense, God became man. For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons into glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren." saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren, in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For, much, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make, in, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to also to succor or help them that are tempted. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of this passage of Scripture. We thank you for the one it talks about, and that's yourself, the very God of the universe, and also the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who left heaven's glory, became a man so he could have a body, so he could die for us and our, for our sins on the cross. We thank you so much for that. I pray you'd use me, Lord, as I bring the message. Help me to honor Jesus, who alone deserves the honor, and I pray that your will be accomplished in each heart. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we are in, uh, in our series of messages on our great God. We've spoken several messages on that already. 
we come to the subject of the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. The chapter we read this morning presents Jesus as the captain of our salvation. We see it in verse 10. He is the leader, the author, the pioneer of our salvation. There would be no salvation for sinful mankind if it wasn't for Jesus, the Son of God, who became a man, the God-man, so that he could suffer and die for us on the cross of Calvary. To fully comprehend Jesus, to fully comprehend the salvation that he he, uh, he's he provided for us, then we must really understand who he is. That's why some time ago I wrote the track that you've seen. Uh, I don't know if there's any back there still or not. Probably are. But it's Jesus. Who is he? What has he done? What will, is he doing? And what will he do? And what difference does it make? It's very important that you know who Jesus is when you're talking about salvation that he's provided. So let's talk about Jesus and first of all begin by looking at Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. The Bible tells us that he is eternally existing. He is the eternally existing Son of God who also is the Creator God. In your Bibles, you're turned to Hebrews 1 let's go back to, or, and 2. Let's go back to ver- chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. God, who at sundry times and in a diver's manner spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So Jesus, the Son of God, is the creator God. By God, rather, by him all the world was created. Look at verse 8. It says in verse 8 of chapter 1, For unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. So the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is called the Creator of God. He laid the foundation of the earth. He made everything that there is. And so the Lord is the Creator of God. The Bible says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus is the Creator God. In the book of Colossians, we read about about the Lord. In Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, it says this, For by Him were all things created, speaking of Jesus, that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and his before all things, and by him all things consist. The word consist means holds together. So Jesus is the creator God who created everything, including all the spirit beings, by the angels, he created them, and he holds everything together. Why is it that the earth rotates like it does? Why is it that we go uh, in the universe at, at a certain rate? Uh, it's because of the Lord. Why is it that the planets don't run into each other? It's because of the Lord. Everything is held together by the Lord. What is it that keeps you from falling apart? Some of you think you are. But what is it that keeps you from just flying apart? Uh, the Lord. He holds everything together. And so once he releases that power, it will happen, as the scripture says, the elements will melt with fervent heat. 
And so everything is just like a big atomic bomb explosion. It'll all go because Jesus will release his holding power. He holds everything together. So that's how great our God is, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the second person of Trinity, the Son of God, the Creator God. Back in the Old Testament, he appeared to Joshua. If you took, turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5, we find that. And I know I'm going to look at a lot of passages this morning. You might not be able to go through it quickly. I do like it when people bring their Bibles to church. It sort of sets us Bible-believing churches apart. I remember years ago, a pastor and I went to a special meeting. I think I've told you about this. But it was an adjacent town. We decided to go to this revival meeting, but we'd never been to that church before. So we pulled into town and saw all these people at this church. So we thought that must be it. So we walked up, went inside, and the people looked at us sort of funny. And they said, are you the visiting speaker? Why did they say that? Because we were the only ones in the building that had a Bible. (laughs) We realized we're in the wrong place. So we left there and went to another church where they were having the revival meeting. But uh, carrying your Bible sort of sets you apart. You know, you're Bible believers. You want to know if the preacher is saying the right thing. And so I encourage you to turn your Bibles if you can this morning. So Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. It says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, they lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as the captain of the host of the Lord, I'm now come. Remember in Hebrews, he was called the captain of our salvation. Here he's called the captain of the host of the Lord. So he's the captain over all the angels and everything. And it says, And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. So Jesus is the Son of God. He was the Son of God even before he came to this earth. He's the eternally existing Son of God. And that was Jesus in Joshua's account, and he fell down and worshipped him. We know it was God because the next chapter, chapter 6, verse 2, says, The Lord said, the same one, the Lord said unto him, and it's in your, in your King James, it says L-O-R-D, capital, capital, capital letters. That means Yahweh. He's Jehovah. So Jesus is God. And uh, so he appeared to Joshua. Joshua worshipped him, and that was okay, because he's God. The Bible says you're not to worship anybody but God. And yet when Jesus walked on this earth, they worshiped him. You remember when uh, Peter walked on the water and, he, and, uh, and then he began to sink because he got his eye on the storm and off the Lord. And Jesus reached down and picked him up and then told him, you know, he, he shouldn't have doubted, he shouldn't have feared. And when they understood what Jesus did, that he walked on water and everything, they fell down and worshiped him and he did not rebuke them. Because he said, you are not to worship angels. There's, that, there's times in the scripture where people fall down before an angel, and the angel corrects them, but Jesus never corrected them because he is God. He is the eternal God. And so he accepted worship. God the Father commanded the angels to worship him. We go back to our text in Hebrews, chapter one, uh, in Hebrews now back to chapter 1, verse 6, and it says this, And again, when he bringeth the first begotten into the world, he saith, let all the angels of God worship him. 
So when Jesus came to this world, the Lord said, let all the angels of God worship him. And they did because he is God. He's the eternal creator God. In fact, the Bible says that everybody one day will worship him. Some people today just say, well, I'm not going to worship God or I'm not going to worship Jesus. I have my own God. You know, I have, I have my own God. And uh, they don't worship the Lord Jesus. But the Bible says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow all of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the Creator God, and He demands worship, accepts worship, and one day you will worship Him. Now, you might worship Him when it's too late, because if you go to hell, it's too late. But there will come a day when you will recognize Jesus. And when the Lord takes people out of hell and brings them before the great white throne judgment, and from that great white throne judgment, they're cast into the lake of fire... When they come before the Lord at the great white throne judgment, they will be very humbled and they will admit there that Jesus who sits on that throne is Lord. And so Jesus is the Son of God and he demands worship, deserves worship, and someday you will worship him. But also when we understand Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior, we have to understand that the Son of God became a man. It's important for you to understand who Jesus is because understanding who he is will help you understand how him dying on the cross for sins is so important and how he could actually do that. I mean, nobody could die for everybody's sins. I mean, it'd be something for me to die for my own sins. And if I didn't trust Jesus, that's what would happen. I would go to hell and pay for all eternity. But to think that, God, that Jesus would pay for everybody's sin on the cross of Calvary, how is that possible? Well, because he's God. And with God, nothing is impossible. So he can take all the sin of the world in a matter of time and pay for it on the cross of Calvary. So the Son of God, in order to do that, became a man. He became a man so that he could die on the cross. God the Son became a man through the virgin conception of Mary. Turn back with me to a Christmas verse, a Christmas passage, and it's in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1. We read this every Christmas, sometime during Christmas, but I want to read it again this morning. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. There's nothing unusual about that. A woman conceiving to bring forth a son. That's happened over and over again through all the, all the centuries. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. Now, that's different. This child is the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now, this one is different. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? How can I be expecting 
when I do not know a man. I have never been intimate with a man. How can this possibly be? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. God, the Holy Spirit, will cause Mary to conceive. No man was involved. Now the sin nature comes down from the man. And so there's no man involved in this birth. It has never happened before. It had never happened before. It will never happen again. This is unusual. And Jesus became a man through the Holy Ghost, making Mary conceive so that she would have a true man, a boy, and uh, he would be human just like everyone else, except for this. He wasn't conceived by a man with the help of a man. It was by the Holy Spirit. Now, that troubled uh, her husband-to-be. He was, they were a spouse, counted like a husband in those days. And that troubled him. So the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 28, I'm sorry, not Matthew. Um, it's, yes, it's Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, uh, Joseph was troubled about this because uh, Mary had been to see her cousin Elizabeth. She heard that she was expecting, even though she was an old age, and she couldn't hardly believe that. And God said, well, you go see her. And so she went to see her, and the Bible says in verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So when she got back, she was there about three months probably. When she got back from Elizabeth, visiting Elizabeth, Joseph noticed Mary's expecting How can this be? When she went away, she must have been unfaithful to me. And so he was going to divorce her, as they did in those days. But he could have done it publicly and made her a public example and disgraced her, or he could have done it privately. And so he was thinking about doing it privately. And it says, Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. And while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Wow. (laughs) Joseph, go ahead and take her and be your wife. She has not been unfaithful. God made her conceive. And so God made made it so that, uh, that the Son of God would have a body and that he could die for our sins. Now, let's give you some reasons this morning why Jesus was given a human body. Why did God do that? Why did he have to do that? Well, first of all, so he could die for our sins. God can't die. God's eternal. He always has been, always will be. God can't die in that sense. But if he takes upon himself a human body, he becomes a human. He is the God-man. So a man can die. And so that's why Jesus had to have a body. Turn with me into Hebrews. You're probably close to that anyway. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4, and it explains that. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin, referring to the Old Testament sacrifices. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. God prepared a body uh, for him. Look at verse 7. It says, Then said I, Lo, I come, and the volume of the book is written of me to do thy will, O God. 
above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said I, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, they may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And so we're, we're, uh, because he has a body, he can die for us. And it goes on to say, verse, verse 12, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies may be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So Jesus had to have a body so he could die for our sins. Also, he had to have a body so he could be our merciful and faithful high priest. We'll not look at all the passages, but Hebrews chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that. Because he became a man, he could live his life on this earth. He lived about 33 years, and he could experience what man experiences. He experienced hunger. He experienced thirst. He experienced tiredness. He experienced disappointment from people who turned him down. Uh, People rejected him. His own friends turned against him. Uh, He experienced pain. All those things, he knew that. He was grieved. He, He went through agony. All those things Jesus experienced. So you've been through rough times in your life. Does anybody in heaven understand that? Yes, Jesus does. Because he's been here. He had a body. He lived a human life, and he knows what it's like. He, did every, he experienced things that you experience, except he never sinned. And so Jesus is our faithful high priest. And you can go to the Lord and tell him your troubles, and he'll understand. He knows. He's been there. He's been through life. He knows what it is down here on this earth. So he's a merciful and faithful high priest. Also, he had a body, so he would be the perfect example for man to follow. Now, you'll not get to heaven by following Jesus' example. But he gives you an example to show you how man can live and should live. And that's the way Jesus lived. First John chapter 2, verse 6 says ought to, that we ought to walk even as he walked while he was on this earth. He was kind. He was compassionate. He was long-suffering. Uh, he didn't do wrong. He did right. And uh, he rejected the wrong and sometimes rebuked the wrong. And the Lord says he walked on this earth so we would know how we're supposed to walk. And we have the record of that in the scripture. First Peter chapter 2, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Have you suffered? The Lord suffered. He's an example how we should follow his steps and how we should go through sufferings because he went through sufferings. And so he's our, he's our example. He also had a body so that he could reveal God. The Bible says in John 1, 14, the word became flesh, and the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, that glory as the only, only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And a verse later says he, he came so he could reveal God to us. So you want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus in physical form. Just watch him. I mean, there was nothing too hard for him. He could, he could calm the storm. He could heal the sick. He could raise it. He could do anything. Nothing's too hard for God. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God is like? Does God love you? God says that he loves you. In fact, Jesus loves you so much that he died for your sins on the cross of Calvary. You want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. And so he had a body, came to this earth so he could show us that he could reveal God. 
Another reason he had a body was so that we could know what kind of body we will have when we are glorified as he was. He lived in a human body on this earth, and then he died. They was buried. He rose again the third day, and when he rose from the grave, he had a glorified body. And he could be places very quickly. He could walk through a wall. He could do all kinds of things. And, uh, and he had a glorified body that will never die again. And that body, guess what else it did? It ascended up into heaven. It ascended up into heaven. Someday, when Jesus comes back, if we're still alive, then, then we're going to have our body changed to be like his. If you, if you died before he came back, you will be in heaven with him, but you'll come back with him and he will raise your body from the grave, and he'll give you that glorified body. And you say, what kind of body is that going to be? The kind of body Jesus had when he rose from the grave. We'll have a glorified body like he has. So we find out about that glorified body because he had a body. And he came to this earth and became a man uh, for us. And so the Lord wants us to understand that and wants us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now, the Son of God became our Savior by dying for our sins. He not only became a man, but he became a man so he could die, but that's the way we can have him as our Savior. The Son of Man becomes a Savior because he dies for our sins. Now, all this is truth that probably most of you already know, but if we're going to talk about Jesus, we have to include all of this to talk about Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. His death paid for our sins. Let's reason about that. How did that happen? Well, the Bible says he took our sins on himself. I don't understand that completely, but I believe it. That on the cross of Calvary, Jesus, when he's hanging there, God the Father took our sins and placed it on him. Isaiah 53, 6 says that. That all we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of us have gone astray. The Lord laid on on him, the Lord Jesus, the iniquity of all of us. And so all the sin of the world was laid on Jesus. Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered for our offenses. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. So on the cross of Calvary, Jesus became sin for us. When God put all of our sin upon himself... Jesus, in a sense, became sin for us. And he was there to take what we deserve upon himself from God. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. So on the cross, he was made a curse for us. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. So how did Jesus, the Son of God, become the Savior? He had to have a body, so he became a man. And as a man, he went to the cross of Calvary, and on the cross of Calvary, God put all the sin of the world on Jesus. Now now he shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. 1 Peter chapter 1, that great passage about his blood says this, For as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The sinless Son of God, who never sinned in his human body, never sinned, of course, in eternity past or eternity future, but while he walked on this earth, he never sinned. 
He was the perfect lamb, spotless lamb, no sin. He didn't have to pay for any sin, but he took our sin and he paid for it on the cross of Calvary, who his own self bear our sins, and uh, he shed his precious blood. So on the cross of Calvary, Jesus shed his blood. He shed his blood from the whipping on his back. He shed his blood from the crown of thorns on his head. He shed his blood from when they plucked out his beard. He shed his blood when they nailed the the nails in his hands and the nail in his feet. He shed his blood when they thrust the spear into his side. He shed his blood. Why did he do that? Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. And so Jesus had to shed his blood for our sins. Another thing had had to happen. He had to experience separation from God. If you die and go to hell without Jesus you will experience forever separation from God. No grace in hell, no long-suffering in hell, no forgiveness in hell. You'll be forsaken by God because that's what we deserve. But on the cross of Calvary, Jesus took that for us. And so the Bible says while he hung there on the cross, probably from noon till 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he was separated from God, and he cried, my God, why, my, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The answer is, he was bearing our sin. He was experiencing that for you, so you wouldn't have to. And so he did that for every one of us. And so he bore that sin upon the cross of Calvary and experienced separation from God. First Peter three eighteen says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. He was suffering the wrath of God being forsaken by God, and he had to cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was experiencing the suffering for our sins. The Bible says, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. We're unjust. The just one suffered for us so that he could bring us to God. But then that wasn't enough. It was not only the death of Christ, but also the resurrection. That's why the gospel, the good news that you must believe in order to be saved is the good news that Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again the third day. He had to rise again. If he didn't rise again, we would not know that it's finished, that he had paid it all. But on the cross of Calvary, he paid for our sins, and he proved when he rose from the grave that everything's been paid for. You remember, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Then he said, it's finished. And the next thing he says, Father, he's communing with God again. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He paid it all, and he died. And then he's in the grave. Now, if he's still in the grave, there's no proof that it's all paid. If, if the punishment for sin is death and he's still dead, then it's not paid. But when he arose from the grave, he proved that it was paid. You see, before he died, he said these words, it is finished. They found some ancient papyri that are tax bills. And on those tax bills, there'd be a listing of people's debts because of the taxes. And then if they paid their their debt, on the top of that bill be written, paid in full. And guess what the words are? The same that Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. All of us have a debt, but Jesus paid that debt, and it's finished. And the proof of that is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, that salvation that he provided there on the cross of Calvary is available to everybody. Everybody. Doesn't matter who you are. You can be saved because Jesus dealt with your sin. You go find the worst person you can find as far as sin is concerned. I mean, it's the person, you know, you don't even want to be around them. It's so bad. And you can say to them for sure, let me give you some good news. All of your sin that you've ever committed, all that you ever will commit, was laid on Jesus on the cross of Calvary. He loved you enough. He came to this earth to take upon himself a human body so he could suffer for you. He died for your sins on the cross of Calvary. And he wants to be your savior. It's all paid for. And you can say to the worst case scenario you can find that you can be saved because Jesus paid your debt. It's finished, paid in full. So, salvation's available to everybody. How do we know that? Because the Bible says he died for everybody. Some people believe in what's called limited atonement. They believe that Jesus died only for the, what they call the elect and what the Scripture refers to elect. I'm elect. I know that. According to the Bible, if you're saved, you're elect. But the Bible does not say that Jesus died only for a certain few. Let me prove that, and I'll rest my case. The Bible says in John chapter 1, Behold the Lamb of God. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In other words, he dealt with all the sin of the world. He taketh away the sin of the world. John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I think God's talking about the world. And he says he died for the world. And then he says in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 and 8, Christ died for the ungodly. All of us qualify for that. So the worst place, worst person you can say, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for you. 1 Timothy 2, verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all. All means all. He gave himself a ransom for all. Also, 1 Timothy 4, 10, who is, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. He's the Savior of all men. But if you don't trust him as your Savior, you don't receive him as your Savior, you're going to eternity lost, not because you couldn't be saved, because you wouldn't be saved. And so he's the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Hebrews chapter 2. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, which is in our text passage this morning, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. He should taste death for every man. 1 Peter 2, verse 1. The false teachers were, were in, he said, there will come false teachers as there were false prophets. There will be false teachers today that, that will come. And he said, they'll bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. They deny the Lord that bought them. In other words, he paid for their sins, but they wouldn't accept him. They denied him. Deny the Lord that bought them. And then 1 John 2, verse 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. <laughs> now, I don't know how better a case you can get than that. And it all comes from the Word of God. I believe we can say Jesus died for everybody. Also, salvation is available to everyone, not just because he died for everybody, but because he makes the invitation to everybody. It says this in John 1, 11 and 12, our our Memory verses for this week, I, or this month, I hope you remember those. They're so familiar to me, I've, I 
kept forgetting to tell you. I put in the bull in the beginning of the month, but it says this. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. God says, if you'll just receive me. The invitation goes out. To as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. John chapter 3, verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. God says, you won't go to hell because you weren't chosen. You'll go to hell because you would not believe the message about Jesus. So everybody can be saved. Romans chapter 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God's raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with a heart man believeth in the righteousness, with mouth confession is made in the salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 13, Acts chapter 2, verse 21 says, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says you can be saved. In Revelation chapter 20, as the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that is thirst, come. Let him take of the water of life freely. Come, you can be saved. The invitation goes out to everybody, whosoever will. And God's salvation then is obtained through faith. That's the way we get it. Jesus is the savior. He provided the salvation. How do we get it? Through faith. You don't get it by joining this church. I talked to a man the other day, and I witnessed to him, and, and he said, I, I'm not a Protestant, I'm a Catholic. And I says, it doesn't matter. There's only one way to heaven. Your church won't get you to heaven. I'll tell you something else. Our church won't either. <laughs> There's one way to heaven. It's through Jesus. It's not through a church. It's not through religion or anything like that. You have to believe. Now, there's some discussion today about... Uh, Uh, repent and believe. And let me just clear up some of this. First of all, I believe that if you truly believe, you're going to repent. But many times the Lord says, believe, 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 believes, and never mentions repent. In fact, it says this in Mark chapter 1. It's the only place it says it in the Bible. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Jesus said that. I looked it up, and there's two verses that say this in Luke chapter 13. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. The word repent occurs 24 times in the New Testament. But then the word believe. The word believe occurs 124 times in the New Testament. Now, what does all that mean? I believe it means this. Yes, we need to repent. But the Lord emphasized believe. Why is that? Because I believe, I think if you really believe what Jesus did for you on the cross of Calvary, you'll repent. What is repentance? It's a change of mind. It's a change of mind about yourself. I'm a sinner. I thought I was good enough to go to heaven, but I'm a sinner. Oh, I'm religious. You know, I've done a lot of good things, you might have said before, but you come to the realization, no, your sin put Jesus on the cross. And because of that, you have a change of mind about yourself. You have a change of mind about God. You used to think that because you were good enough, God let you into heaven. But now you realize that you don't get to heaven that way. You can't be good enough. God's holy. He can't allow sin into heaven. And he paid for every sin so you could go to heaven. And so you change your mind about God. You change your mind about the way to heaven. You used to think it was by being good or religious. And now you come to the place, no, I realize that's not true. I realize the only way to heaven is through what Jesus did for me. 
and you believe, but when you believe, you have that change of mind, you will repent. So you come to the place where you realize that you're a sinner and you say, God, you're right, I'm a, I'm a hell-deserving sinner, but I believe Jesus died for my sins on the cross of Calvary. You can be saved out in, a, out in the woods somewhere. My dad told me years ago, I still remember that, he said, Earl, I was saved sitting on a stump in the woods. <laughs> you can be saved in church. You can be saved at a, a graveside. You can be saved at work. You can be saved riding down the, down the road in your car. What do you have to do? You have to come to the realization that you're a sinner and you cry out to God in faith and say, Lord, I believe that you died for me on the cross of Calvary and I want you as my personal Savior. I believe and I trust you, Lord. You died for me. You rose again from the dead. You paid for all my sins. I want you to be my Savior and you trust the Lord. You call upon him. He came into his own, his own received him not. But to as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 19, 9 and 10. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. I ask you this morning, have you ever come to the place where you truly believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's close this morning. I know I'm taking a little bit longer, but let me tell you something about why this is so important. Why is salvation, Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior? Why is this salvation so important? Well, the Bible says it's, or I think the Bible proves that it's the underlying theme of the whole Bible. Famous preacher once years ago said, if you cut the Bible anywhere, it bleeds. <laughs> and that's true in a figurative sense. And that is all through the Old Testament, the sacrifice and all that, the blood that was shed, all of that pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament was looking forward to Jesus Christ. The New Testament is looking back at what he did on the cross of Calvary. And it's all about Jesus. That's the theme of the whole Bible. It was a subject of discussion by Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember when they met, they saw the Lord. The Lord went up on that mount and he was transfigured before them. His raiment became white and glistening and he glowed with all of his glory. And Moses and Elijah, who had already died, and uh, they, they were with the Lord. They said, they said this. Uh, they, they talked about one thing on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration. They didn't talk about the weather. They didn't talk about the bad times we were going through down on the earth. They didn't, talk about, they didn't talk about how good it was in heaven. They talked about one thing, and it says this, they spake of the decease which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. <laughs> I mean, that was the most important thing in history. They spake of the decease that he would accomplish at Jerusalem. Accomplishment of death, <laughs> that was Jesus. Also, it's the central theme of heaven's song. We look back in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, and it says, it says this on, at verse 8. And when I, he, had taken, when he had taken the book, the four, four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down to, before the Lamb, and everyone having them harps of gold, harps and golden vials full of odors and the prayers of saints, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and blood. Uh, tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God priests 
and we shall reign forever and ever. What do they sing about? The blood of Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross of Calvary. It's a matter of interest to the angels. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, it speaks of the gospel which things the angels desire to look into. It's provided for you. That makes it very important. The Bible says he tasted death for every man. So how is it so important? Because it's for you. And also, it's the only way to be saved. I mean, absolutely the only way. The Bible says in in John chapter 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. It's the only way to salvation. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other name, any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the only way to be saved. And then a final reason why it's so important. And that is, if you do not trust Christ as your Savior, you will remember your failure to do that throughout all of eternity, but it will be too late. You remember the rich man in Luke chapter 16? He says, Father Abraham, send somebody back from here so they can tell my five brothers so they won't come here and tell them they need to repent. How did he know that? How did he know they need to repent and believe? Because he knew that when he walked on this earth, but he didn't do it. Did he want company in hell? Did he want to have a party in hell? Did he want his friends to join him? Did he want his brothers to join him, be there with him? No, he didn't want that. He wanted them to go to heaven. He wanted them to escape that place, and he remembers it throughout all eternity, and so will you if you don't trust Jesus as your personal Savior, and you go out in eternity lost, You'll remember it forever and ever. Our text passage this morning in Hebrews chapter 2 says this in verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? The answer is you won't. Nobody will. Salvation is available. It's provided. The invitation goes forth. You can be saved. And if you're not saved, you have to do exactly what I did years ago. That is, come to the realization that I was just a lost person. Religious, yes. So-called good, yes. But lost and needed a Savior. And you have to come to the place where you cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I agree with you. I'm a sinner. But I want Jesus as my Savior. And that's all it takes. Call out to him, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for helping us make the plan of salvation, we hope, clear. And I pray, Lord, that someone here today who has not trusted Jesus, that today they will do that before it's eternally too late. Work in hearts and accomplish your will, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.